Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel is one of those books that um, uh, preaching through it has been interesting. You know, here we are, there's 12 chapters. Uh, we're at chapter 3. And Daniel is a book in the Old Testament. His life is going to span the entire 70 years of the Babylonian captivity. So he is, as a 16-year-old, he's going to be taken into Babylonian captivity, and he's going to spend his whole life there. Uh, he, and he's going to be an old man. He's going to be well into his 80s uh, by, the time, by the time he's writing this book. So Daniel's book then served for the purpose of encouraging people who were living in a hostile culture to their faith. They were living in a culture that wasn't sympathetic to people who followed God. And how did they deal with that? Well, chapter 1 laid the foundation, and that was that Daniel and his three friends had resolved to remain faithful to God no matter what trials may come. Chapters 2 and 7 demonstrate that God is in control of the nations. Even the kings of great nations are subject to God. And furthermore, God continues to bless Daniel and his three friends. Now, before we jump into chapters 3 and 6, uh, we need to be reminded of the, of the chiastic structure. In fact, uh, Cheryl, if you could, I'm, there's, a, there's a slide that shows the chiastic structure. And on this slide, it shows you the correlation of chapters. So as we're reading through there's two things that Daniel did when he wrote the book of, of Daniel uh, linguistically, as far as the language is concerned. In chapter 2, he switches from Hebrew to Aramaic. And he stays in Aramaic all the way through the end of chapter 7. So it's confusing. It's like, why in the world did he switch languages on us? Well, perhaps one of the reasons is because it was missional in its purpose that he want the message that he is conveying, he wanted it to be presented in a language that was common to the people who lived in Babylon. But then another reason would be this, that he is hinting and pointing us to the fact that this, this section is written in a chiastic structure. Now, what does that mean? Uh, in, in Greek, the word chi or chi, C-H-I, from which we get the word chiastic, is the letter X. So what you actually see is, if you'll, if you'll note, the first three form the first part of the X, and then the latter three form the second part of the X. So it's a chiastic structure. Now, what is the significance of that? It means that the top of the X, chapters 2 and chapter 7, should be read together, and you'll understand the relationship that they have with each other. Chapters 3 and chapter 6 should be read together, and you'll understand the relationship between those. And then chapters 4 and 5 are read together, and you'll understand. They help you understand and interpret one another. So as we discovered last week then, Daniel explained that King Nebuchadnezzar's dream and its interpretation was a picture of kingdoms. His dream was of a large statue with a gold head, a chest, of arms, a chest and arms of silver, uh, belly and thighs of bronze, legs and of iron with feet and toes of iron mixed with clay. So Daniel then explained that King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is in fact the head that is gold. 
but he also told him it's going to be replaced. And when we pick up in chapter 3, we discover that King Nebuchadnezzar is not satisfied with simply being the gold head of the statue. And the idea of being replaced, he's not satisfied with that. He wants to be the irreplaceable kingdom. He wants to be the eternal kingdom. He wants to be the whole statue made of gold. So that's what he does. He makes one. He makes a statue, probably very similar to the one that he saw in his dream. Only he's going to make his entirely out of gold. So let me give you key point number one, then we'll look into the scriptures and unpack it. Key point number one is this. Idolatry is anything in our lives that replaces God's rightful place of worship. Idolatry is anything in our lives that replaces God's rightful place of worship. Let's pick up at verse 1, chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made in it an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So, first of all, let's just camp out there just for a moment. Lots of people coming to this dedication service, right? I mean, you just, the, the list there are just the titles of the people that are coming. I mean, this is all the, all the political figures, all of the leaders, all of the governors and administrators, the treasurers, everybody that you can think of has been invited from all around for this dedication service. And then it emphasizes, this is interesting, he says, King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. For some reason, Daniel repeatedly tells us, by the way, King Nebuchadnezzar set this up. Verse 3, so the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. In case you missed it, he wanted you to know King Nebuchadnezzar set it up. And they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. In case you missed it, there's the third time. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fire, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. This is the, I always, yeah, again, you always look for those repetitions, right? What is it that he is trying to get across? I think, I think ultimately Daniel is saying this. King Nebuchadnezzar was not following the Lord. King Nebuchadnezzar was following King Nebuchadnezzar. He was doing what he wanted to do. He was setting up this image. This was nobody else had prompted him to do this. Nobody else encouraged him to do this. This was of his own will. 
But it's important for us to also recognize this. Not only does Daniel chapter 3 correspond with Daniel chapter 6, but chapter 3 aligns also with another chapter in the Bible, Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13 is an end-time prophecy, much like the book of Daniel is mixed with history and tells us about prophecy as well. Revelation 13 tells us about someone who is going to set up an image of himself. In fact, this is going to be the Antichrist, and he's setting up an image, and he says, if you don't bow down and worship this image, what's going to happen? Your demise. So the image that is set up by Nebuchadnezzar is a type or a foreshadowing of the Antichrist image, which is found in Revelation 13. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had millions of bricks made with his inscription. In fact, Cheryl, if you could, I've got a picture of, of this, on this on the screen as, as well. It's Nebuchadnezzar's brick just below. That, millions of these, every single brick had the inscription of Nebuchadnezzar's name, king of Babylon, who cares for, and then it's the, it is the god uh, Marduk and his son, and then he emphasizes that, that Nebuchadnezzar is the eldest son of the former king of Babylon. Can you imagine the, the pride that this guy has, the arrogance that this king has? He wanted his name on every single brick, millions of them. I mean, think about just this building alone. Think about how much brick goes around this, this building. And imagine having someone's name you know, inscripted on every single brick. That's what we're dealing with. But let's not fool ourselves into thinking that we don't struggle with idolatry. Let's not fool ourselves into thinking that because we haven't put our names on bricks or because we don't have a statue of our image somewhere or because we don't have a, a tower with our name on it that we don't struggle with idolatry. In fact, I was thinking about it this week and I brought with me a, my own little uh, tower here, and I thought, what if we just spent some time building a little tower and thought about what are some of the idolatry issues that we deal with in America today? What are some of those things? Well, I would certainly begin with pride. I would begin with pride. I mean, pride is one of those things that it's all about me, right? It's all about uh, what I want. Well, what about if we continue then, we continue with stuff? Maybe that's an idol, idol that we deal with, something idolatry, stuff. The idea here is that our status in our culture is associated with the size of our house or boat or car. Um, the stuff that we have, we have to drive a certain type of car. We have to have a certain certain size house on the lake, or we have to have, sometimes stuff can become an idol. How about this one? How about performance? Performance. In other words, my value is based upon the things that I do and how well I perform. And you only find value in yourself if you're doing certain things a particular way. How about this one? Number four would be control control. You've got to have control. It's like if you see something and you're going, I, I have to, 
have to fix it. I have to change it. Some of you are looking at the tower. I know you're looking at it from the side. Maybe you can't see it. Some of you would look at that and go, you need to fix that. You know, you see really quickly. You go one, two, three. Or maybe you can't see it on this side. One, two, three. And you're like, that's driving me nuts. That's driving me nuts. You, you might have an issue with control. Cheryl was probably one of the first ones, right? She was looking at that. Uh, before I even said anything, she was going, he put that one on there wrong. It's facing the wrong direction. He's, well, let me help you out. All right. So here's what. Sometimes you have control. Sometimes we have control issues, don't we? That doesn't help at all, does it? That does not help at all. All right, so sometimes we have issues with control. How about this one, comfort? Sometimes we deal with comfort as, as our idol. In other words, my goal is just to have a life of comfort. I just want to be comfortable. How about this one, image? Image. My, my image is relative to others. I look at other people and how I perceive myself and the value that I find is not in myself or in Christ, but my image and my, the value of who I am, my image is based upon others. What about popularity? Popularity. That can be an idol. It could be an idol of... Uh, I will abandon all integrity just to fit in. I want to be popular. You might, you might behave a particular way around one crowd and behave some, some way entirely different around another crowd. And it's just because you want to fit in with whatever crowd you belong to. How about number eight, money. Money. Money can be an idol, Right? I mean, we can deal with uh, lots of insecurity, and we think that money has, is the source of our security. One of the easiest ways to test this one is when God says give, how difficult is that for you? How about diversions? Number nine, diversions. Diversions. And here's what I mean by that. Things like sports or video games or even our cell phones have become diversions. They can become idols, things that distract us from worshiping the Lord. And then finally, number 10, pride. Pride. You're like, wait, didn't you start there? Yeah, I did. Yeah. In fact, I would say all of this, this is not an exhaustive list, but it gives us an idea of how we're building up in our own lives. We're building up our own statue. We're building up our own towers of idols. We're building up things in our own lives that are not reflective of God. So idolatry is anything, anything that replaces God's rightful place of worship. And when we allow money or status or image or popularity or our own pride get in the way, then we have allowed idolatry to, to be a part of our walk. And we don't need that. I think a lot of us have mistakenly thought that idolatry is something that we don't struggle with because we don't bow down and worship little gold statues. That we have this idea of, well, I'm not worshiping an image, but what if the image that you're worshiping is yourself? 
What if, what if you have actually sat down on the throne in your own life that actually is a throne that is reserved for God? Then the issue is that what we're dealing with is that we have taken it up on ourselves to have uh, all of these issues like pride and money or uh, diversions and image. We have put these things in our lives in such a way that it's distracting us from worshiping the one true living God. So it's important that we understand that idolatry is not just bowing before a golden calf or a statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. Idolatry is anything that replaces God's rightful place of worship. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused, absolutely refused to allow this idol into their lives.